0: You're listening to the Farm Report Podcast with Jake and Corey. Brought to you by Indians Baseball Insider and Broadcast on the Smoke Signals Podcast Network. We're talking Tribe. Day. Good afternoon and good evening, wherever and whenever you happen to be tuning in, we are glad to have you aboard. I'm Jake Dungan, senior contributor for Indians Baseball Insider, welcoming you to this week's edition of the Farm Report Podcast. Uh, another great week to talk prospects. The, the heat is finally the heat wave is finally broken. We actually had a beautiful day here in Northeast Ohio, and hope uh, those of you. Uh, who were working, had a chance to enjoy it even, either after you got home or if you're like me and you work outside, had a pleasant day working outside, which I did. And uh, uh, this week joining me, uh, since Corey Christen, our regular co-host, is not able to join us this week due to scheduling conflicts, uh, I actually have uh, my regular co-host for the Smoke Signals podcast, for those of you who listen to that. And uh, he's also the IBI editor-in-chief, Justin Lana. Justin, thanks for joining us here tonight on the show.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to two different podcasts this week, and it'll be good to talk some prospects. I know we get into some prospect talk very, very minimally on the Smoke Signals podcast. I'm looking forward to uh, going in-depth for the first time since I think uh, our preseason show. That's right, yeah. You.
0: Yeah, you just missed the last week's show. We were doing our uh, revisiting. I don't know. We didn't revisit any of our predictions. We just kind of did midseason evaluations of how things are going as far as who's making the most progress and who isn't, so unfortunately, unfortunately, you missed that. But we'll pro- likely have you on for the season wrap-up show. We'll revisit some of those predictions and probably, uh, uh, probably have a good chuckle at some of the ones, some of the big uh, predictions and calls we made prior to the season and what panned out totally different. But such is the nature of the game. But uh, for now, tonight, uh, let's talk about some of the breaking news going on in the farm system. This past week, Um, first of all, talking about the ongoing rehab assignment for top Indians relief pitching prospect James Karachak, who we know had a lengthy setback due to a hamstring injury and then later on a lat strain, so that kept him on the shelf for a while. He hasn't pitched uh, since May 5th uh, back in Columbus. Um, an affiliated ball, but he has been pitching in uh, rehab assignments, and so far in his uh, three games for Arizona, he has absolutely been dominating. Um, He does have two walks in three innings, but other than that, he hasn't allowed a run or a hit, and has fanned eight. So, for the most part, he's picking up right where he left off and seems to be inching closer to a return to Columbus, and we'll see what... uh, We'll see what... The future holds in store for him beyond that because I think, Justin, you and I are in agreement, as is Corey, that this is a case where Karinczak probably would have been Cleveland by now, most likely, if not for this injury because that's how well he was pitching. Uh, 16 games, including his rehab assignment. He's 6 for 6 in saves. He's only allowed 5 hits, 5 walks, and struck out 40 in those 16 innings. So, absolutely dominant numbers and... Right, Picking up right where we left off and progressing uh, towards a full recovery.
1: I mean, wow. He is so, let's see, 16. I'm not great at math. What's 16 times three? Uh, 30, 38. 48, 48 batters. He's retired. 40 of via strikeout. That's absolutely insane. That is. Actually, I actually took my math again. That I, I apologize. I went to school for journalism, and I was told <laughs> there would be no math. Okay, four. I was right. 48. So out of the forty-eight batters he has retired this year, he has struck out forty of them, and he's allowed five walks and five hits. That that's, is ridiculous.
0: That's two and a half strikeouts that's, per inning. Uh, doing a little more math for you. Saying yeah, thanks for taking care of
1: that for me because I would, <laughs> I never would have gotten there. I mean that's just borderline criminal. He's his batting average against this year is oh ninety four, ninety four. His WHIP's oh sixty three. sixty um, three. I I would say he he doesn't even need to go to Columbus. I think they. I, I know he hasn't been activated officially in Columbus yet. Um, he's supposed to be headed back there. I think today is, is his first day back. He's not off. I don't think he's off the list yet, so he won't pitch today. Um, he's supposed to be back. I can't believe he needs to go back. I think he's ready for the show right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can understand maybe trying to get him a few outings just up, up in Columbus again to make sure that he's ready to make that jump, um, but at the same time, you know, the Indians don't have a bona fide setup man behind Brad Hand, and maybe putting Chak in there could be uh, what they need to really take a good step towards the future, because I know that the Indians' bullpen has been pretty good uh, statistically this year, but, you know, other than... Maybe Nick Goody or Adam Simber. Who are you going to in the eighth inning that you can trust a hundred percent? Because Oliver Perez, you know, had a great year last year, but he's kind of been hit or miss this year at times. Um, Nick Wittgren has been pretty solid, but you know, there's some detractors saying that he's been more smoke and mirrors than anything else. Uh, so who, beyond you know this aforementioned Simber or maybe Nick Goody, do you go to in that eighth inning? Maybe James Karinchak can be that guy.
1: Yeah, I, I think James karinczak has got future closer written all over him. My, we, and we said this last year. And funny enough, I you know I was going through my time hop here yesterday, and um, it had some statistics on Karinczak, who made it to Akron last year. And I said, even if he, if any command comes for him, if he figures this command thing out, he's going to make a huge jump. Because I mean, he had a good year last year. I mean, he'll walk a ton of guys, but and. Uh, 48 innings last year, he struck out 81. So, you know, he's still striking out. What? Oh, that's over two batters in the inning again, right? That's, that's two batters in the inning he struck out last year, basically. So, he just needed some command. You know, it's unfortunate he had the um, he had 36 walks in 48 innings, 48 innings last year. That's not great. So, the command probably came this year. He could have been up last year if he had the command. I think they just weren't uh, comfortable with his command last year. But yeah, I think now that the command's there, I think he absolutely has future closer stuff.
0: So. Oh, I, I totally agree and you know, it's all about what he brings to the table. I mean, you know, he's got a good pitch mix, he's six foot three, he comes over the top with that delivery, so he's got a nice downhill motion, he's got a great velocity. I mean he pushes he pushes triple digits sometimes, ninety eight, ninety nine. Um, so he's got a great arm, he's got a great delivery, it's you know, the command might slip from time to time, but it's been much better this year, which is very encouraging. But, you know, the stuff we know is is really good and big league caliber stuff. I mean, um, if you were to compare him to anybody, who would you compare him to as far as uh, relievers with wipeout stuff?
1: Before this year, and, and, and maybe the command's changed him a little bit because I don't know if Cody Allen never had this kind of command. Um, but that, initially, that was who I thought he was a lot like. I thought that he threw the fastball in the mid-'90s, uh, had a really funky motion. You know, Cody Allen had that, even though he was only six foot tall, he had that over-the-top motion. And then he had the, um, the hard curveball, and that's exactly what Karinczak has. Karinczak's a little bit bigger than he is. Um, and his curve's a little more traditional versus Cody Allen's spike curve. But they had, they you know, last year they had a lot of similarities, uh, weird, a weird motion with a weird arm slot that comes over the top, and a fastball-curveball mix. But Cody Allen, I don't think he ever exhibited this good a command. He, he was always about a 40 or a 50 command. And I think now, obviously, Karinczak last year, you know, had like, we're talking 20 or 30 command. It was pretty bad. Like it was, you know, low grade Considering how many walked. I mean, his, his best walk rate last year was 18%. That's pretty awful. Um, now, Cody Allen was never that bad, but he still, you know, was still not it was very average command. So, if his command is much better now, I would say closest thing I can think of is Cody Allen with hopefully better command. If this is the new James Currancheck,
0: yeah, you know, and that's exactly who popped in my mind too. But you know, having seen Cody Allen as much as as I have versus some of the other relievers, that's I didn't want to seem biased, but that's exactly who I think of when I see James Karinczak, only with probably more uh, command issues. So, but yeah, the bigger body size, he had, I think that him being a little bit bigger coming over the top works in his advantage a little bit more. Um, probably has a bigger stride when he delivers the ball too, so it, it makes the, it makes his time from the mound to the plate a little bit quicker. Probably uh, I know that that uh, can play to it a pitcher's advantage if they have the right body type and the right kind of mechanics. So, uh, Karen Chack. The other
1: one I would say, sorry to cut you off, the other one I would say is uh, Joe Kelly, too. A lot like Joe Kelly.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could see it. So, um, at any rate, it's great to see Karin uh progressing through rehab. And as you said, he's, it sounds like he's going to be in Columbus, if not today, then tomorrow. So, uh, we should be seeing him there within the next few days, uh, pitching again, and who knows beyond that when he'll be in Cleveland because it should be sooner rather than later. Uh, let's hope that the Indians feel the same way. But uh, it would be really nice to see that bullpen get a nice boost. Not that they have necessarily needed it, but to get another bona fide arm in there be- beside uh, Brad Hand because you know right now Brad Hand is... I'm not saying he's getting the full Andrew Miller treatment, but he has been used a lot this year, and that's only because he's the best reliever uh, that they have and arguably one of the best relievers in baseball right now. So, you know, you got to use him when you can and use that weapon to your advantage. So getting Karen Jack in there should hopefully take some of that pressure off and give the Indians another bona fide uh, late-ending arm uh, for if and when they do get to that uh, playoff situation where they're going to need some... Uh, some good relievers to step up and pitch in those key spots in such crucial games So, um, speaking of uh, arms that could have an impact in Cleveland this year, how about we give another update on Danny Salazar who is pitching in Columbus now, he's worked his way up the ladder and in his latest outing against Buffalo uh, just a couple of days ago he had three and a third innings uh, allowed only three hits he walked a batter, didn't allow any runs And he struck out 6. And, Justin, you said that, uh, I was trying to search on, get some word on what his velocity was. You said that the Clippers broadcaster had tweeted out that he was topping out at 93. So, he's still not up there as far as his velocity goes and what we're used to seeing from Danny Salazar. But, the results, otherwise, have been there. And it seems like he's making good progress outside of his... Outside of his um, velocity still being down, and maybe his breaking pitches are working well for him right now. But uh, so far in uh, five rehab appearances, he's 0-2 with a 3.38 ERA, 23 strikeouts, and 13 in the third innings. That's pretty good. He has allowed 15 hits, so a l- little bit of a high number there, but he's only walked four. So the command looks like it's there. The breaking stuff's probably working for him with the strikeouts. It's just the velocity is still down, so... Right now, you know, he's in Columbus now. He's pitched up to three and a third innings. They're still working on stretching him out, it sounds like. Uh, where are we with Danny Salazar, and what are your expectations for him? I know we talked about this in the smoke signals, but uh, after pitching in Columbus now and doing seeing what that has resulted in, has that wavered your opinion at all?
1: The velocity is definitely concerning. I don't think you can overlook that. I know a lot of people think that, he could, you know, with the, he, pitch, he becomes a pitcher, maybe he can survive, and not everyone needs to throw, you know, 95, 96, I guess. That's true, but Danny Salazar has always been more of a thrower than a pitcher. I don't think anybody can dispute that. He, even though he has great stuff, I mean, we know his changeup and his slider and his curveball at times have all been really just dominant wipeout pitches, even his fastball. You know, he could throw the fastball anywhere he wanted and get a swing and miss. Um, if he is going to live that, you know, and, and the thing is, he's topping out at 93. So it's not like he's just throwing 93 regularly. We're talking, you know, 88, 89, 90, and then he's getting his way up to 93. I would probably say class half hole, You're hoping that, okay, he hasn't pitched in, in the big leagues since 2017, and these are his first five appearances, you know, in two years in a game. So you're hoping that, this is just him building up the arm strength again and by the time he's ready to be back in Cleveland which is what uh, maybe two more outings away I think I'm trying to think how many how many more days he has left because he only has 30 days of rehab which really equates to what six appearances seven appearances so yeah
0: it sounds like sounds about right
1: yeah you hope that you hope that this is just building arm strength and when he when he gets you know his regular routines back and he gets the arm strength back that he can be you know something like top you know hitting 93 and topping out at 96 or something you know then that's a little more survival because that's kind of where most of the Indian starters are now I think that's where you know Zach Plesack sits that's where well Clevenger way above that now but even Bauer is not really is, is really topping out at 97 now so if, if Salazar could really top out at 96 and sit 92, 93. I think you feel good about that. But from the video I've seen and the reports we've, reports we've gotten from these games, I mean, the, the curveball seems like it's good. The changeup looks really good again. So maybe he's going to have to learn to be a pitcher if this velocity is not where he's used to it. Maybe he has to learn how to use his off-speed stuff and um, really learn how to sequence hitters and locate. So maybe it's a good thing for him. Um, but my, my expectations are pretty tempered based on the velocity and the fact that he hasn't pitched in a big league game in two years. But if he if he does learn to really lean on his breaking stuff as opposed to just being a thrower, you know, maybe, maybe things are better for him because the, the breaking stuff was always good. He just never really had
0: command. I have a suspicion that this might be somewhat related to his confidence because I have seen firsthand and I think it was the last time he was out on rehab assignment a couple years ago before all these injuries came up, he was on rehab assignment in Akron and, um, remember talking to him it, he got shelled in his rehab appearance. I remember talking to him after the game and, you know, he said all the th- right things about how he felt fine and everything was progressing forward. But at the same time, I, I just, you got the sense from him that, you know, his confidence just wasn't there. And maybe he wasn't ready to – he wasn't fully confident in his ability to go out there and just turn it loose like he has so many times in the past. And you know what? Some of that could be justified because, you know, his body has let him down so many times over the last several years that maybe his confidence just – needs to be slowly built back up. And maybe that's what this process is all about is, you know, gradually incrementally building up his arm strength, his, uh, innings, his er- pitch count, everything involved with uh, rehab assignment. And then th- along with it, building up his confidence and l- letting him feel okay with the ability in his arm and his shoulder and in whatever's involved with his, uh, his pitching that has caused him problems in the past, uh, that it's it's going to be okay to uh, turn it loose more every once in a while. I mean, it could be that this is just who he is now. I, I, I fully accept that, but uh, I still wonder if maybe once his confidence reaches a certain point, he'll be willing to uh, reach back for that little bit extra that he's done in the past, and maybe he'll be able to... Reach that point, and we'll start to see some of that Danny Salazar of old again. My confidence isn't too high on that either, but I still wonder if that's a factor.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a good point. I mean, I, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to you know say things that are not that are speculative. But there's been a lot of things in the past where people have talked about Salazar. You know, a lot of the, the problems he has. Not not to say he's never been injured. He obviously has been injured. I would I'd say hurt but. I do know there's some, I don't want to say toughness. Toughness is the wrong word. How, yeah, how do you go about saying this? He's, I think he's always very concerned he's going to get hurt. I think a lot of the stuff affects him mentally in some ways, you know, when he gets hurt like that. I think he's, I think he's afraid he's going to get hurt a lot, like you say, He's afraid he, he doesn't have the ability to, to turn it loose and reach back for that extra bit there, like you said. I think some of that just happens to be his own confidence. That just starts in his own head. You know, I don't want to say he's a head case or it's all in his head. But I don't think that's true. I think that's an unfair allegation to make any any, any player, um, because you know athletes always want to go out there and compete and help their team. That's how they got to where they are. They didn't get there by, you know, faking injuries. That's that's my thinks that's crazy, but we have heard in the past where guys say, you know, sometimes he gets into his own head and. And is concerned he's going to get hurt any time throwing the ball. And, you know, that does affect things sometimes. And and it's reasonable to think that's the case maybe here if he's afraid to reach back and really let it loose. But like you said, hopefully it's just a case of him needing the time to build the arm strength back up and let it go.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't help that but a lot of the times his his uh, lack of confidence has been well founded because he has been hurt so many times.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, if you if he thought he was going to get hurt any pitch he throws, it's hard to blame him because that's just how it's been throughout his career. I mean, shoot, the Indians put him on the forty man roster when he had Tommy John surgery. And this was all the way back in like I want to say twenty ten. I think. You know, he pitched for the captains in 2010 when they won the championship. He was um, hurt by then. Uh, he was already going undergoing surgery. He didn't come back until 20 late 2011. He pitched well in 2012, and obviously we saw him in 2013. Um, and then he hasn't been the same since, you know, he missed the All-Star game in 2016 because he was hurt, and he didn't really come back the same since then. He had, you know, short stints, but never anything sustainable.
0: Right, so, uh, well, we'll just... Cross our fingers and hope that him getting his confidence back, him building up arm strength, and hopefully his body cooperates that uh, he's able to get back to. I'm not gonna say get fully back. Cause I don't think that's fair to place on him at this point. That put those expectations and that pressure on him, but just get back to being a, a contributing pitcher on the Indians pitching staff. I think that would be uh, a great, a great uh, victory for him. Uh, personally, and for the Indians to get him all the way back because he's had to go through so much. But uh, we shall see. And uh, monitor the, this last leg of his rehab process because, as you said, uh, we've only got a couple more weeks on that 30-day deadline. And he is fully expected to be rostered, barring any setbacks at that point. So uh, we will definitely... Options, he has to be. Yep, exactly. So we shall see. But, uh... If you
1: want to point to a, if you want to point to a silver lining, or you want to you want to have some confidence that Salazar can be back and help the way he used to, if you look at the swinging strike rates he's had in his rehab outings. Uh, you can probably discount rookie ball because you know he's facing guys that are just fresh out of college there, or you know even younger, obviously, or out of high school. But if you look at Double A, he's had two appearances Double A, one in Triple A. And he's been at 12% swinging strike rate and 14% swinging strike rate. That's, that's a pretty good sign because that's pretty much kind of where he had lived in the past, uh, you know, 12 and above. Uh, you know how that kind of translates to the major leagues, obviously, but the fact that he is at least doing a good job missing a lot of bats uh, in the minors at least gives you a little bit of hope that even if he's not throwing hard, the stuff is missing bats, and that would be the, the curveball and the changeup.
0: All right, well, let's uh, switch gears here going down to Arizona and check in on another hard-throwing right-hander. India's first-round pick, Daniel Espino, from this year's draft class. And he has officially made his uh, pro ball debut uh, last week, uh, actually on Friday the 12th earlier this month. And then he made his second appearance last week on the 17th. And so far he has... Pitched to the tune of a three ERA, I mean small sample size, three innings, two hits, one run, no walks, three strikeouts. Uh, From what I saw, his velocity was up there as advertised, and, you know, there's not much to glean from two appearances, but it's nice to see him making his uh, professional debut and and pitching well, and uh, what do you... I know we talked about this around the draft. I mean, we Corey and I talked about this with uh, Jeff Ellis after the draft. What the expectations are for Daniel Espino, but we didn't, I don't think we've ever gotten your take on it uh, since the draft, Justin. What do you, What is your read on Daniel Espino? I mean,
1: I I was looking at some of the reports. There are people out there that uh, saw him in person and said that he was really good. I mean, the the curveball was good. The fastball's at the ninety nine. I think I saw one report that said that one of his fastballs, or the one day you saw him, uh, his fastball was not below 97, he topped out at 99, uh, really good spin, I think overall, I think everyone does kind of believe that he has a reliever profile, only because he's got that long arm strength, long, the long arm angle, uh, that long arm drag he has, and just being so short. And kind of volatile, so I do think the, I think the reliever profile still fits, but so far the stuff looks good, and I think they're going to give them a chance to start. And the Indians have done such a good job developing starters, um, you know, every which way. I mean, heck, even if you look at off their own roster, look at the guys that are they're pitching around baseball that were in there, like you know, Thomas Pinoan has been up for the Blue Jays, um, guys something like that have that done a good job here that are pitching elsewhere and in their own rotation, so. I think they need will give them a shot to be a starter, but ultimately I do think the reliever profile fits well. But, boy, when you guys talk about a guy that's that's 18 years old and that's short, it's hopping out at 99 already. That's impressive and almost kind of seems like Danny Sales are in a way, oddly enough.
0: I know. That's why I kind of wanted to transition that way because I, that comparison has been made in the past because uh, they've both followed similar paths. Uh, Salazar—he uh, wasn't drafted. I don't think he was uh, signed out of. Uh, he, he was signed on, out of off the international market, but they were both around the same age. He's obviously Salazar has been in the Indians organization for a w- long time. Espino's just getting started, but they are both probably around the same age when they entered the Indians organization. And you know, his profile does uh, seem pretty similar to Salazar in a lot of ways. And, yeah, we'll see if they give him a shot as a starter, but uh the one thing that Jeff kind of was hesitant about was how the Indians have, as much as they have had so much success developing pitchers, not n- one of them has been uh a prep arm, other than if you want to call it Count Salazar as a prep arm technically, Um since CeCe Sabathia. So, uh... They haven't had a lot of success with that. Obviously, we've seen uh, guys like Juan Hillman and Brady Aiken are kind of stalled in their careers. Tristan McKenzie was going very well in his career and seemed like he was moving his way up to Cleveland, but now has some injury issues to contend with. So um, I know that from Jeff's standpoint, that was his one point of hesitation with Espino as far as drafting him first in the first round for the try. But uh, other than that, the talent profile file seems great. It's just a matter if, you know, his arm can withstand, you know, the velocity that he has. Because I know that, not just yet, but there's a lot of uh, analysts and scouts who are have, have their trepidations about Espino's arm as far as whether or not he'll need reconstructive surgery at some point, uh, with him already throwing as hard as he is uh, at just 18 years old, so I think that that's where the hesitation comes in, but if if and when it does come to a point where he progresses through the system and either he pans out as as a starter or eventually gets moved into the reliever's role and is still pitching well and his stuff is panning out well, then uh, it's a great coup for the Indians uh, because they have not had a lot of success with uh, first round uh, picks lately.
1: Yeah, that's fair, too, what Jeff said, you pointed out about the prep arm thing, that's definitely fair, uh, hoping definitely was hoping McKenzie broke that string, and maybe he still can, but I don't have a whole lot of faith, he's not pitched yet this year, but yeah, you're definitely right, and, and just like you said, the way he compares to other arms in the past history, and, and that arm, arm slot, the drag he has on his pitches, and you know, I, I hope he breaks the mold, and I hope he makes it somehow. Like I said, I just think he's probably going to wind up being a reliever. But yeah, it, it's very strange, and, and the sport itself is going much more towards college pitchers and prep hitters. Uh, the Indians really kind of zigged what everybody else zagged this year by pitching, picking a lot of pitchers overall. Some of them were college, but you know, some were prep. Uh, Natsuno was, but you know, they did with Hankins last year. Hankins is off to a good start, and it rings really me. Know, what kind of happens to him down the road too? But he's off to a good start, so maybe, um, maybe they're confident right now, and just the, the pitching plan they've had over the last couple of years that has allowed them to get Beaver up, Savali, and uh, the way that you know, Clevenger and Bauer have taken off as well. Even though I think a lot of that is, I don't want to say self. Well, obviously Bauer is a little more self-made improvement. Um, Bauer had a lot to do with Clevenger, but. You know, maybe they feel confident in their in the the culture they have with pitchers that this is the time they can turn it around.
0: I mean, they've definitely built a great uh, track record with developing pitchers. I mean, Corey and I have said multiple times over the last several weeks looking at the pitching depth in the system. I mean, right now in Cleveland, you've got you've got Shane Bieber, a college arm. Uh, you've got. Zach please. a college arm, you got Madame Plutko, a college arm, uh, Aaron Savale has appeared in Cleveland, another college arm, and, you know, you go down into the, into the uh, minor league side of things, guys who are working their way up, Eli Morgan, uh, Adam Scott, um, there are I'll a lot more. of... Cody Morris, there are a lot of names working their way up through the system. They've had more success on the college side of things, but I think that that overall success on the pitching side I think can permeate and they can identify what has led to that success because we all know the Indians have been on the cutting edge as far as uh, a lot of things, whether it's a player development or identifying and scouting talent from afar or whatever the case may be. So the Indians know what they're doing. They know how – when they're doing something right and how to stick to it. So uh, hopefully they can apply that to Spino's case and they can develop him the right way and make sure that he has the best chance of success. So uh, we'll see how that uh, pans out. But uh, speaking Boys, of...
1: Jake, you didn't even mention Brady Aiken, by the way.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: yeah uh, he right. said, technically, he was not a high school arm. He, he didn't even yeah, draft he... him out of a, a prep academy. because It was to... IMG
0: Academy, yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's really a college. So they still drafted him out of well, the college, but, yeah, that one also doesn't look like it's going to work either. So I guess put another one in the so-far-not-working-out hat.
0: Right. So, uh, well, here's a guy who I, I'm really hoping can work out and uh, play well in the affiliated ranks because all he's done is tear up uh, rookie ball and <laughs> talking about uh, Yaner Diaz, who finally, after what seems – like forever, got the promotion to uh, Mahoning Valley, and has appeared in three games. Uh, so far, he's only two for 11, so a buck 82 average. Um, not a lot to glean from that in such a small sample size, but in 20 games for uh, Arizona Rookie Ball this year, he's batting four fifty one. He had 37 hits and 82 at-bats, including 5 homers, 6 doubles, 22 RBIs, 4 walks versus 8 strikeouts. He kind of uh, strikes me kind of similar to what uh, Oscar Gonzalez has become. I mean, I think he's capable of drawing more walks than Gonzalez does, but the hitting profile seems very similar to me. A guy who just knows how to put the bat on the ball and make things happen. And so far in his... Uh, a few seasons in the organization—that's all he's done. I mean, aside from this year, he batted at 355 last year in Arizona, and then 294 the year before in uh, 2017 in Dominican summer league. So all this guy has done is since uh, joining the organization has hit, and hopefully now he can translate that to the affiliated ball ranks because I'm finally glad to see him in Mahoney Valley and getting some playing time. Because uh, aside from being a good hitter, he's also a good catcher. I've seen the defensive numbers. He looks pretty good behind the plate as well, at least from uh, controlling the run game. He looks like he's got a good arm behind the plate. So uh, what's your take on uh, Diaz? Because I know he wasn't on our prospect radar. I've had my eye on him since last year. But um, I think you've been warming up to him a little bit, especially when you put out your uh, midseason prospect ranking. So uh, what's your take on Diaz and getting the call to Mahoning Valley? I
1: thought he was on our preseason top 50. I'm going to go back and double-check right now. I could have sworn we snuck him on there. It might have been late because we didn't really know much about him other than all he did was hit. Taking a look now. I thought I thought he made the top 50. He just wasn't very high up. Um, you're right, he did not make our top 50. He was in our cutting room floor. Um, so, yeah, he did not make it. You're right, I'm, I'm kind of surprised we didn't because he, I mean, you know, he had the numbers there hitting-wise to support it. So he should have been probably uh, unfairly. I was probably a little. I'm probably a little bit disappointed he hasn't hit as much. I know it's like you said it's only been three games, but the way this guy was hitting in Arizona, I was expecting him to come out of the shoot and just start hitting all over the place in the morning Valley. And it's early, maybe he still will, but uh, I, I don't know how much different the competition is between short season and yeah, uh, Arizona rookie league. I mean, the Arizona rookie or the rookie league you have. Uh, A lot of younger Latin teenagers, a lot of high school kids, some college kids. But, uh, Wyoming Valley is just a lot of the same, except for, you know, some of those guys did play against each other in um, the complex leagues a year ago, and they're up in the Mahoney Valley now, and you have some guys just out of college up there. So, I don't don't know that he'd be facing anybody totally different. So, I'm really curious to see what he does there. But, um, it'll be cool to see him also handle Ethan Hankins behind the plate. Uh, Because those two could be a fun pair if if Diaz is as good as his numbers indicate, both offensively and defensively.
0: Right, and as far as the difference between uh, Arizona and Mahoney Valley, I think the difference is more in the long lines of being in a traditional baseball season setting. Because, you know, you're in Arizona, yeah, you're playing games every day, you're playing in a season, but one, there's hardly anybody who attends those Arizona League games. I mean, I think it's, uh, I, I'm, I no mean, it's, yeah, it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's our buddy Joe at Burning River Baseball and probably a few other people in the stands who are at those Arizona League games. Um, but then you go up to Mahoning Valley, you know, you're playing in front of a crowd of a couple thousand people, potentially, and... Then there's also more of a traditional travel schedule because in Arizona you're just traveling around Phoenix to all the complexes, and uh, once you get up to Mohonic Valley, you're traveling, you know, in buses across state lines. Uh, you got some longer road trips to contend with, so I, I would say if there's any difference, it's getting. It's adjusting to that traditional baseball setting and and season grind uh, that is the biggest difference. So we'll see how – and I know that they opened the season – or they – he opened his uh, Scrapper's career on the road against Batavia. So uh, making your debut on the road probably carries with it its own uh, kind of nervous setting and whatever the case may be. But I think that if there's any difference, I would point to that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. you know. I guess roster-wise, I was thinking, experience-wise, playing would be the same. I think you're right. There is something to be said between uh, being on your own and being out in that environment and traveling and uh, just the, the fans and, and being in a a season affiliate versus – I it's probably almost like – I don't want to say – You know, for me, it would have been like this. You know, after I graduated high school, I went to community college for two years, and community college felt like a two-year extension of high school. So I almost kind of wonder if the Arizona Rookie League is kind of an extension of, not high school, because you're still facing, or college, you're still facing really good players. But, you know, it's just kind of, it's not quite the same as other minor league baseball, I guess, like you said.
0: Right, and plus you're there in spring training too. You're doing workouts and stuff like that the player complex. It feels more like you know you're just you're just yeah, there going that's through that's the fundamentals, and it. then you, versus you get it out to uh, an affiliate, and then that's where it probably becomes more real as far as playing professionally.
1: Yeah, and, and, and you know some guys talk about all the time they want to get out of there. I know well the rehabbing is different because you're down there because you're hurt versus these guys are playing, but. I'm sure these guys want to get out of there, too, if they spend, like you said, if they spend the and beginning of March there till the end of September, oof, that's a long time.
0: So anyway, uh, we'll see if Dan, yeah, your Diaz can bring, that, uh, can bring that fire that he's been <laughs> hitting with in Arizona uh, up to Mahoney Valley, because it would be very fun to see, and... Very fun to see in person because now that he's out of Arizona. I mean, when these guys are in Arizona or Dominican Summer League, you know, all we really have to go by is the numbers. But now he's in Mahoney Valley, you have a chance to see him in person and really get a better read on him. So, uh, we'll definitely, uh, keep our eyes open. But, uh, <clears throat> going back to Arizona, though, there's a guy who is absolutely tearing the cover off the ball. Um, and you mentioned before the show, Justin, that now that Diaz is moving up the Mahoney Valley, there might be somebody new to keep an eye on in Arizona. And that guy is Aaron Bracco, who many of fans have heard us mention, or heard um, other prospect people covering the Indians mention in passing. You know that this is a guy. You know he's been on top prospect lists, and you read scouting reports and such. But never have we had a chance yet to. Really see him in action. Well, that's all changed now because so far in his uh, professional playing time in Arizona, he has played very well. Uh, he's batting 310 with a 425 on base and a 667 slugging percentage. That's good for an OPS over a thousand. Uh, 23 games he's got six homers eight doubles two triples 27 rbis he's walked 18 times and struck out only 15 and he's got four four stolen bases to go along with it while being caught only once so this is a guy who's doing a little bit of everything right now and above everything else he's hitting the ball well seeing the ball well and really making things happen at the plate so uh you know, we've, as I said, Aaron Bracco has been on our top prospect list for a while, but it's different once you get to see some numbers put with the uh, the hype and the scouting reports. So, uh, Aaron Bracco is he the new guy to keep an eye on in Arizona?
1: Yeah, I mean the college draft picks are always interesting to watch out for there too, but that's that's where a lot of the DSL guys go um, when they're ready to go. But remember, Bracco didn't even play last year. They signed him and he uh, had some kind of injury. He didn't play at all last season the AZL. This is his major league, I shouldn't say major league, it's his professional debut. And it's a really, it's been a really good one. I mean, like you said, the walks look good. Uh, always encouraged to see good play discipline at that age. He's 18, he doesn't turn 19 until April. Um, and he's showing some power. I mean, Everything looks good. And, and uh, a lot of people think that he'll be potentially a future second base. I know he's played a lot of shortstops so far, but kind of like the way George Valera was. I remember Valera got hurt last year and only had five games in the Arizona Rookie League, and he's off to a great start this year. Uh, Bro- Brocko didn't play at all last year because of the injury himself, and he's off to a really good start. And Yeah, so I-, I would probably say you're right. He is probably the most exciting player to watch on there right now, outside of maybe some draft picks like Cetofino, um and other young uh, former July 2nd signings, but yeah, Bronco might be the the top guy the way things are going right now. He definitely deserves the attention.
0: How about over his last 10 games, he's batting close to 400. He's at 390 with a couple homers and 15 RBIs in his last 10 games, and still a 6-5 to uh, walk-to-strikeout ratio. He's got a 9-game hit streak going, so he's really doing everything right in Arizona right now, and Man, I wouldn't be surprised if he soon gets the call. I mean, I know that the middle infield is pretty crowded in Mahoning Valley right now. You've got uh, Raynell Delgado and uh, uh, Brian Rocchio and another uh, top international prospect in Mahoning Valley right now. But if a spot opens up on the middle infield, I wouldn't be surprised to see Brocko's name mentioned as far as a a guy potentially able to uh, fill in there. But it's great to see him uh, playing as well as he is because I... Like I said, it's, it's different when you read the scouting reports, read everything, all the hype on him. And, you know, you can relate to that on, uh, on a certain level, but when it's different to see, you know, the numbers start to match up with the, the scouting reports. And that's where it really becomes real. And you say, this is a guy really worth keeping an eye on. So it's exciting to watch, and I am very excited to see what Brocco, uh has in store moving forward because it's... I, it, I, I can't express enough how excited I am to see these guys finally get the playing time. I'm excited to see George Valera uh, in Mahoning Valley doing as well as he is. Um, and you know Brian Rocchio. Um, eventually, I hope we'll see Gabriel Rodriguez and Junior San Quentin. And it's, it's going to be fun times because, as we've said uh, multiple times on this show, the Indians have done very well on the international prospect front uh, lately in the last several years, so hopefully uh, guys like uh, Rocchio and Bracco and Rodriguez and everybody else can finally bring that all around to fruition, because we know, thanks to the likes of uh, Jose Ramirez, um, we know that the Indians can develop these guys and can make them into viable major league, productive major league options for the future, so... Um, these next several years will be fun to watch these guys develop.
1: Yeah, if you look even below the Arizona level, there's uh Angel, I don't know if Angel or Angel Martinez, uh, in the D S L League is doing really well. You're talking about Gabriel Rodriguez too, he's in D S L. Uh, those two guys could be safe side soon, look good and uh, Jose Ramirez's brother. You just learned about Jose Ramirez. His brother is playing in D S L right now, Jose Baez, so there there could be a lot of guys coming that way too. It's gonna to be exciting and like you said, I, I think we had Bronco ranked last year. I don't remember where we had him ranked. Um, and, but, you know, sometimes rankings like that, we had him ranked 22nd this year, and he had yet to play um, a pro game. So a lot of times we're relying on scouting reports and some video that's out there and then trying to see what everybody else feels about his future. To make sure that our rankings are as accurate as possible. even if We haven't seen them, so like you said, now that we've got a chance to see some video against other uh, pro guys and, and some data on the sheet, finally, it's a little easier to justify where these rankings are. And at twenty-two, I think we, I think, I think we gave a fair shot to Braco. He's at twenty-two on our list this year, and given how he's played, I think we've been. I think that was uh, well justified, and it's good to see that he has delivered on pretty much every scouting report you've seen, I think has been pretty accurate so far, even if he's just looking at the numbers.
0: All right, so last question before we get to uh, Player of the Week for this week. Um, is Daniel Johnson closing in on a call-up to Cleveland? Because it seems like since he went to Columbus, all that he's done is hit. And he's hit much better than he did in Akron. In Akron, he batted .253. With, he still had an eight seventy two OPS and was hitting some home runs, but... In Columbus, he's batting over 300, he's got an OPS n- near nine hundred, five 5 homers, 27 RBIs in 49 games. Over his last 10 games, he's batting 341. Um, how much more does this guy have left to prove in the minor leagues? I know that the uh, outfield situation is a little bit crowded in Cleveland, and, and a lot of the guys are playing well, um, especially Mercado and Naquin, and you know Luplos had his moments, Bowers has had his moments, but... How much more does Johnson have to prove in Columbus before he gets a shot in Cleveland? Because obviously the Indians like him. They gave him a long look in spring training. And um, I think he has the makings of a long-term productive option for the Indians moving forward. So uh, the question is, when will he get that chance?
1: I don't know. I mean, they seem pretty committed to playing Naquin and Luplo in that platoon out there in right field. So you have that going on. Johnson's primarily a right fielder. Mercado is um, firmly planted in center field because he's the only center fielder on the roster. Then you got Jake Bowers in left field. Plus, Greg Allen's been playing lately, and they need to get a look at him. It's, it's hard to it's hard to get all these guys looks. I mean, Johnson's more than deserving, I think, right now. But you've got other guys up there. I mean, Tyler Naquin's playing well. You have to see if he's. I know some people have said no. You you just you move on from him, but guys played well you have to keep him you have to give him the extended chance to see if he can keep this up because you need to find out if he's part of the solution for 2020 because we've talked about this a million times this year the outfield's still unsettled for 2020 and you need to make sure that um even if 2019 was kind of a i know there's three games out of the division so it's not like it's over but if you're using 2019 as kind of a a way to reset things and, and see what you have for 2020, and really put your chips on the table for the last um, year. You're definitely going to have Lindor if they don't trade him in 2021. Um, you, know, you have to see if if Power Naquin is, is part of your future, and the way he's playing, you have to agree with he. You know, you have to give him that shot to prove it because he's doing it right now. And with with we need to see Luplow because he's produced, and, and Mercado's already in the center field. The only thing you can really do is move. Bowers back to AAA and bring Johnson up, but they seem committed to letting Bowers develop at the major league level and try to get him to work his issues out there. So I don't know. Unless, they, unless they're unless they going to carry five outfielders. Are they already carrying five outfielders? Yeah, let's see. Luplo, Naquin, Mercado, Bowers. Okay, so that's four, I guess. They could. They're down. And Allen, that's five. They already have five outfielders, so someone's got to go back down. Unless Johnson is going to be a full-time DH. But, yeah, unfortunately, I don't think anything outside of September call is going to happen this year, um, which is a bummer because he definitely deserves it. But at the same time, maybe that's a good sign that you've got so many outfielders that are playing well enough to deserve longer looks because, you know, the outfield we thought was a disaster. And it it is a shame because Johnson definitely deserves it. I don't know where he fits right now. He'll fit somewhere eventually, but I don't think you'll see him before September even if he is deserving right now.
0: Yeah, that's unfortunate, but as you said, also a great sign for the organization because, I mean, we all pretty much were pretty scared about the outfield situation heading into 2019 and what that held in store, but here it is, it's come together pretty nicely, I mean, as you said, that platoon between Naquin and Lupo seems to be working uh, Mercado is playing very well and I still think he'll be in rookie of the year conversation for the American League and you know Bowers has had his ups and downs but um, he he's shown some flashes of what he can do so overall I think that the Indians are in a good spot and then obviously Allen in there too who I still really like and think could be a productive member of this or- organization maybe in the role that he's in now might be perfect for him so yeah I wouldn't change much about the outfield in Cleveland right now but at the same time you know I, I would like to see Johnson get his chance because I think he has deserved to get that look and I know you and you're in agreement on that but at the same time it's a sign of good depth and you can never have enough depth in any position and for the future to have Johnson there and waiting and potentially taking over right field long term, uh, alongside Mercado in center, and maybe hopefully Bowers and and left. Uh, that could be a that could be a pretty good outfield moving forward. So um, you know we might be impatient to see Bowers up in Cleveland now, but um, at the same time I'm glad to see that the Indians are able to have him waiting in the wings when they need him. And as long as I don't see him playing any differently than he is now, he seems pretty much. Uh, Locked in at the plate, and um, all we can do is just be excited about the future. That's all there is to it.
1: Yeah, except for maybe the platoon splits against left hand. is something you really got to think about. And even so, he's got a great arm in right field, so he fits really well up there. He's athletic. Might be able to moonlight in center field a little bit uh, if you really need him to. He's got a future, there's no doubt. I think I I had him in my number two prospect in my midseason top 50 only because uh, he's just put up so many good numbers and between A AA and A. It's hard to ignore, and he's knocking on the door of the major leagues. I don't see how you can deny what he's done.
0: Nope, and I don't see it either. And for the time being, those of you in Columbus who are able to watch him, I uh, hope you're able to – well, I almost said enjoy him. That phrases had some negative connotations that these days so I probably shouldn't say that but uh um so uh, in the meantime no Justin uh it's time to get, unveil our player of the week for this week and I couldn't think of for of anybody more deserving than the aforementioned Aaron Bracco who over the last week since we last uh, recorded has batted an even 400 he's got a home run, three doubles, nine RBIs in five games Four walks versus three strikeouts. It seems like any uh, split of games you look at, he's always got more walks than strikeouts, which is very encouraging. Um, So I couldn't think of anybody more deserving, so congrats to him on being our Player of the Week for this week.
1: Yeah, it's a good pick.
0: Yep, so uh, reviewing last week's picks, I had Tyler Freeman, who I thought was a layup. But he picked this week to kind of slow things down at the plate, unfortunately. 5 for 19. That was a 263 average. Um, he had one double, no RBIs, a walk and three strikeouts, um, a six sixteen OPS. So not the best week for Tyler Freeman, at least according to his standards that he set. Um, for Corey, he picked Rob Kaminsky, who quietly has had a really good season on the mound. In his two appearances, he's, uh, from this past week, he logged uh, two hits, two walks, two strikeouts, but didn't allow a run. Um, So, you know, he's allowed a lot of base runners the past week, but overall still pitching pretty well. And I like what I've seen from him, because if you look at his splits against lefties, he's been absolutely dominant against them. Uh, Maybe this is a guy who the Indians can look at in the future. I know they've got a couple lefties in there now. With, between Oliver Perez, uh, Tyler Nelson, and, of course, Brad Hand. But uh, Rob Kaminsky quietly uh, is working his way into that conversation. And, you know, obviously Oliver, Oliver Perez is going to pitch forever, and Tyler Olson has been kind of hit or miss this year. Maybe Rob Kaminsky can uh, slip into that conversation.
1: Yeah, he's not far away. He still has that really good curveball, so that gives him a chance. I know they're going to you know, kill off the loogie next year. And he probably would have been a good fit for as a loogie. But uh, as long as he has a good cur- curveball, it'll give him a chance to compete no matter what on the mound. And from all accounts, that curveball's still really good.
0: So great to see. I'll have to give that uh, to Corey this week as far as uh, performance goes. Uh, for next week, uh, for our picks, um, I'm actually going to go with – uh, Ethan Hankins, who just continues to pitch so well in Mahoning Valley. He's got an ERA of 0.88 and seven starts, or six starts, seven appearances. He struck out 35 and 30 in two-thirds innings. He's only allowed 16 hits, three five runs, three earned. Uh, he's a uh, walk three. He's hit a few batters. But overall, just continuing to dominate in every sense of the word. So, uh Last time out, he finally got to the five-inning mark in his, as far as uh, building up his innings and his arm strength. Um, so, yeah, that was against Batavia a few days ago, or yesterday as we record this. Uh, five innings, no earned runs, allowed three hits and a walk, and struck out six. So, um, things are looking good for Hankins, and I'm going to go with him for uh, my pick for next week. Uh, Corey S- is not available today, but he didn't submit his pick for next week. He's going to go with Jose Fermin, who has quietly, really turned things around at the plate this year. I know he started off slow, um, but he's starting to turn things around and looking more like the guy we saw last year in Mahoning Valley. Uh, Justin, I know you, I mean, I know you haven't been in Lake County much lately, but uh, from what you've seen from, from for this year, uh, what's your take on him?
1: Yeah, he has kind of picked things up uh, in the second half. Got really good plate discipline. Uh, I saw him yesterday. Fight off was it yesterday? It was last Wednesday. I've I've been to two games in the last week, so I've actually seen a little more lately than I did early in the month of June, late or uh, early July, late June. Uh, but he's done a good job. He's starting to fight off pitches and drive them a little bit more. I know the team really wants him to focus on picking on pitches he can drive to his full side. He's kind of picked it up lately. He just really needs to add strength. I think think, really with him, he's so thin right now, and and that helps him move well at second and third or second and short. But uh, once he adds some strength, I think you'll see the hitting take off. even a little bit more. He's already got a really good eye at the plate and uh, makes a good amount of contact as it is. So once he gets more selective about pitches he can drive, he's going to do a lot more of that. So he's starting to get there. He's starting to learn that a little bit at this level and makes him a good pick because I think if he – picks that up or figures that out, that's what's going to happen a lot more.
0: Yep, absolutely. So, And I've been intrigued with Fermin since last year in Mahoning Valley because, you know, last year all the talk in Mahoning Valley was about Tyler Freeman, but uh, him and Fermin at the top of the lineup made a pretty good pair. And, you know, for the first half of the year in, in Lake County, it seemed like they were going to do the same thing until Freeman got promoted to Lynchburg. But uh, I still stand by the idea that Fermin could still be a, a – a viable prospect moving forward. So, uh, Justin, since you're the guest host this week, I'll let you uh, submit your pick for this week for Player of the Week. Who do you have?
1: Um, first of all, and go back to your point with Fermin, too. They they were roommates last year and they were roommates this year until Freeman got promoted. They're they're really good friends. So it's funny you mentioned that because they're they're really tight. Uh, and, and Freeman has or uh, Freeman has a lot to do with why like, Freeman's walks have been better this year. So good note there. To combine those two. So Those two paths are really intertwined. Um, as far as pick this week, Hankins is a good one. Um, I, there's two two guys I'm honing in on. I'm trying to decide between two: uh, Kai Tom, who just continues to keep hitting no matter what level he's at, and it's, it's not going to stop at AAA because you know they got that MLB ball that just flies off the bat. I want I want to go the easy way out and take. Take James Karinczak now that he's going to be activated off the injured list in Columbus. Um, but he might only get one or two appearances over the next week, so maybe he doesn't do enough to be player of the week. So I'm going to go with Kai Tom because that guy just keeps hitting.
0: Yeah, he does. And it's so nice to see because, you know, last year, the last couple of years really, he's finally been healthy, but he hasn't quite produced at the levels that maybe the the Indians have been hoping for but you know now that he's uh, in Columbus and you know he was hitting well in Akron and now he's hitting even better in Columbus he's batting close to 414 games in Columbus that's really remarkable he hasn't hit any home runs yet um, but he has 10 RBI 7 doubles and a triple and it's just really nice to see him finally coming around and you know, maybe he's a guy who could potentially fit into the Indians' future plans. I mean, as we said, we can't get Daniel Johnson on the team because of the crowd outfield. It's probably going to be even harder to get Tom on the team. But if the Indians or maybe some other major league team, depending on what the Indians decide to do with him, because I think he's got to be coming up on six-year territory here pretty soon. and He is
1: Rule 5 eligible this winter, yeah.
0: Yeah, so we'll see what they. He was
1: Rule Five eligible last winter, I think.
0: Yeah, so we'll see what what goes on with that. But uh, if the Indians or some other major league team decides to give him a shot as maybe a fourth outfield type, I think he could fill that role pretty good because he's can play all of the positions. He's got a good arm. He can hit for power, some power, and uh, and uh, show some speed on the base pass. Uh, he's pretty prototypical as far as a fourth outfield type.
1: Yeah, just don't let him uh, turn into our Hazus Aguilar. You yeah, know, exactly. not having a great 2019. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious. I'm with you. I really don't know what to make of him. He's he, he hit really well in Akron where, you know, it's a tough place to hit, and we don't think the ball is um, affected there. We don't think it's different. I haven't heard it's different down there. We know it's different in AAA and the major leagues. It's obviously different. I don't know about Akron. Um if he's sitting there and he's doing the same thing in Columbus, it's hard to think it's a fluke. So I'm really curious to see Indians do with him this off because he's, he's been a good hitter. I got a chance to see him way back in college and he was playing in the Woodbat Summer League in New York. Where I worked out there for two summers and he hit the crap out of the ball there. And he's really hit at every level. And now he's kind of like you say he's healthy again. He's strong. He's learned how he's reincorporated use of his lower lower half in his swing a lot better to drive the ball more. And I really have no idea what's going to happen with him this winter, but, um, I think you're right. I think if he needs to put him in the 40 man roster, I think someone else is going to at least think about giving him a shot.
0: All right. Well, hopefully he is retaining the Indians organization because he is a good guy. And I think he could help the Indians if given the chance, it's just a matter of whether or not there will be the opportunity for him to get that chance. So, uh, we shall see, but, uh, Anyway, great show today, Justin. It's uh, been fun to have you on Talking Prospects, as, you know, I know in your writings, people get to see your prospect expertise, but here on these airways, we don't really get into the prospect stuff, and so uh, I'm sure you enjoyed it as as much as we do every week, uh, Talking Minor Leagues, because it's always fun.
1: Yeah, it's always, it's a, it hasn't grown as much, hasn't grown as much this year, I think, as we thought it would, with some injuries and some other stuff, but uh, it's still about as healthy as it's been since they traded Clint Frazier for Andrew Miller. The system was in a good place at that time, and I think uh, it's in a really good place right now. So always a good time
0: to talk prospects. Oh, great stuff, Justin. Uh, anything you want to plug before we go?
1: Um, you know, just the three up, three down column that'll be coming on on Monday. I'm going to be out of town this weekend, so I won't really have much uh, in the way of writing until Monday. But with trade deadline coming up, you know, we'll have a lot to talk about. And then, especially the uh, smoke signals podcast. I think we're going to record Thursday this week.
0: Yes, I believe that's the plan. And uh, we got a lot to talk about with the Indians working their way back in the division race. And even with that uh, series loss to the Twins, they've really played well. And it's great to see they've after that win streak ended. uh, They've gotten right back to their winning ways in Toronto, and um, it's great to see them playing well because they got a tough stretch ahead and they're really going to need to be on their a game
1: yeah definitely it's uh like i said they're on kc not only that but uh the twins are hitting the skid so they really need to capitalize
0: yep so i uh, checked out on the on the farm report podcast this week um and be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jake D Baseball. Justin's at JL underscore Baseball. Uh, you can follow the show account at SmokeSignalsIBI. Follow the site account at Official underscore IBI for all the links, all the show notes, uh, podcasts, links, everything you can find there, breaking news. Um, and you can uh, hit us up for any kind of uh, prospect questions or Indians questions. Uh, We'd we'll happy to answer them to the best of our knowledge. But uh, aside from that, Justin, any final thoughts for this week?
1: No, I mean, the minor league season's starting to wind down, believe it or not. We're almost at the trading deadline, and then we're about a month away. You know, Labor Day is the last weekend of minor league baseball. That's not that far away, so uh, get out to a game while you can. Uh, I know the captains are in the playoffs. Uh, Looks like Columbus will be. Beyond that, it doesn't look like anybody else will be, so get out to a game while you can.
0: Yep, and uh, that seems like a good thought to end on as there's only a month left in the season. And now that the Heat has died down, maybe we can get out to a game. I know that when the, the Heat Index was really up there, I was at a rubber ducks game this weekend. And uh, there were hundreds, if not a, over a thousand people who... I paid for tickets, but just didn't show up because of the heat. So, uh, it's understandable, but uh, now that it's cooled down a little bit, now's a good time to get out to a game. So, check it out. You can see the guys we mentioned, like Daniel Johnson or James Karinczak or Yaner or Diaz. Uh, there are some fun prospects to check out. So, uh, yeah, get out to a game over this next month and, uh, because it'll be over before you know it. It's weird how that always happens, but it always ends up that way. But, uh... Anyway, great show tonight, Justin. I want to say thank you uh, for stepping in on the co hosting duties tonight. And also want to send a shout out to uh, Corey Crisson. I uh, hope all is well and that we're able to reconnect next week uh, for some more prospect talk. Um, but beyond that, Justin, I appreciate you stepping in and look forward to the Smokes and Smokes podcast later in the week. Absolutely. Had a great time. All right. So for Justin Lava and the Farm Report podcast, I'm Jake Dungan, and we say to you, have a good one. For questions and comments, you can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at smokesignalsIBI, where you can find links to all our shows, as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening.